If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to um, Hebrews chapter 12, please? And I need to release the kids, don't I? I'm sorry, I almost forgot. Kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for children's church from the age of three through fourth grade, you can uh, be dismissed for children's church. (laughs) I'm surprised they hadn't already left. As those guys go out in Hebrews chapter 12, as we're finishing up reading the book of Hebrews together this month, it's like a coup this morning, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> Chatty little group, aren't they? All right. Okay, so as, as those guys are going out in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be reading a good part of the first part of Hebrews. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions uh, or, or maybe questions that you have. Um, anyone ever suffered? Anyone ever suffered trials? Anyone ever... Um, uh, suffered temptation. You know, and we, the writer of Hebrews in particular would make a point to talk about two different kinds of temptation. He says there's a kind of temptation when, like you and I talk about, there's a kind of temptation when we're tempted to sin, right? Men, you're tempted uh, to lust. Uh, you're, women, you're tempted to fear. Maybe men and women the other way too, but uh, you're, you're tempted to do those things. We're, we're tempted to, to give up when things get hard. We're tempted to, to stop enduring and stop persevering. Uh, and we're, we're tempted in all those cases. But there's another kind of temptation that the writer of Hebrews talks about, and he's talking about the temptation to quit and the temptation to give up when things get difficult. The people in that the, he's writing to, the, the Hebrews that he's writing to, are people who are being, crucif- who are being per- persecuted for the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're being tempted and persecuted about, well, why don't you just give up on this Christianity thing? Why don't you come back? To do Judaism. Why don't you come back to the Old Testament? Why would you give up on, on your family who's been following uh, the Old Testament law for all these times? Why, why do you want to do that? And, and they were tempted and persecuted to give up on their faith and go back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is telling them, no, hang on. Persevere. Stand firm in your faith. Continue to believe. And so there's kind of those two different kind of temptations. One is an inward temptation that that we're tempted to sin, but the other is an outer temptation, something that comes from outside of us that tempts us uh, to give up or 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 to stop enduring and to and to give up in our faith and to stop walking with the Lord. Um, let's be real honest. In the church, that happens to church people. All right, uh, you, you hear me. You are not alone in having that happen to you in your life. There are times that you and I have in our life experienced such hardship that we begin to doubt the Lord's goodness toward us. True? Can, let's be honest. Th- that's the truth. We need other people around us to come alongside us in those times and take us by the shoulder and say, I know this. I, I felt this too. I- I've wondered where the goodness of the Lord is when I've walked through the loss of, uh, of, uh, of a loved one, of my mother or father or a spouse, or when I've seen my children suffer, or when I myself have suffered. I've experienced this true too. Amen. So th- this is the truth. This is what happens. And, and we don't like to talk about that, about how our faith falters. But listen, our faith falters, doesn't it? There are times that we get so caught up, and, and there are so times that we go through such horrible experiences that our faith falters in the Lord. And uh, we need to be reminded of that, and we need to be able to talk about that in the church. True? Yeah, I'm not giving you a choice here. You've you got to be able to talk about that. You've got to be able to be, reach out to someone and say, I am starting to doubt. I'm starting to stop believing. I'm not seeing the Lord work in this. How, how many of you have prayed for something to happen, for relief from the Lord or something for years? 
Anyone, anyone struggle with something that wasn't just something that was short-term, but something for years? I tell you, in the midst of that, Christian, you need to be, you're a brother and sister of the person beside you and the row in front of you and behind you. you we need to be aware of those things in our, in our fellow believers' lives, and we need to come alongside them and know that it is entirely possible for us as, as, as humans to begin to doubt the Lord's goodness in that time. True? We need to come alongside them and be praying for them and encouraging them in their faith. Okay. But sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes when we suffer, sometimes when we don't see the Lord working, sometimes we begin to start wondering things like what Clay was talking about. Is the Lord punishing me? Sometimes we, we begin to wonder, well, why me? Why am I suffering this way? Some begins to, to wonder, Lord, why won't you fix this? You could just fix this. Why won't you just fix this? Why won't you rescue me? Why are you leaving me here in this situation? Whether that's a child who's, who's, who's wandering from God, whether that's your own physical illness, whether that's a loved one who's passed, whatever it is, we all have those questions in our head. And then maybe the last question is, when you're in the middle of it, what am I supposed to do? I tell you, Brent and I have struggled this a lot. Um, our, if you're new to us, our daughter, Rebecca, has a cerebral palsy. And I tell you, early on in her life, um, well, it seemed like anytime anything good would happen, two bad things would happen. You know, it was one step forward and two steps back. She'd make progress in one area, and then all of a sudden something else would fall apart. And, and uh, that was a really big struggle for us. And we've had a few struggles in our lives, <laughs> you too probably, but, uh, you know, we've struggled in our marriage. We've struggled with finances. We've struggled in our relationship. I've struggled to be the, uh, the husband and the father that God's called me to be. Over and over and over again, there's struggle. It's, it's just part of the human experience, isn't it? But in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those trials, it's really hard for us uh, to, to ask the Lord, well, what am I supposed to do? Have you ever wondered, <clears throat> am I supposed to continue to pray for this healing? Am I supposed to continue to pray for this to be fixed? Or am I just supposed to accept that this is the way it is? Anyone? Yeah, very common, isn't it? Very common. But here's the deal. When you're facing it, it doesn't feel common. It feels like it's you and God, and maybe it feels like sometimes that he's not there, but we know from the teachings of the Scripture that that's not true. Anyway, boy, I have got to get on with the sermon today. So let's jump in here in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. This is a teaching of the Scriptures that is very unique to Christianity, very different, very distinct of Christianity, a diff very distinct teaching about suffering that isn't found in many other places. So um, in Hebrews chapter 12, he's going to say some things about suffering that are sh really pretty shocking. In, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, and what he's talking about there is in chapter 11, is known the chapter of faith, right, the hall of faith. Uh, he's just talked about a whole bunch of Old Testament characters who, um, who by faith, God did incredible things. They believed, they offered sacrifices, they conquered kingdom, kingdoms, they did all these other things. And, um, and so he says, but, so consider them, because it's like we're in a, he's going to make a comparison to a race, it's like we're in a stadium, and all these people who have gone in the past, all the forefathers of our faith are there in the stadium, and we are uh, on the field, and they're watching us run the race. And since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, um, I've got to move on. And let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that does so easily entangle, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just a really couple of quick points. What does sin do to you? It, it, it hinders and entangles you. What are you supposed to do with it? Throw it off. Get rid of it, it right? Don't, don't accept it. Don't say, well, this is just how I am. I just have a problem with lust. No, no, no. I just, I, you know, I'm just, I, I just, I like money, and, and so I, no, 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 no. 
throw it off. It is entangling and hindering you in your race. Listen, you should take your sin more seriously than you do everyone else's, but that's not what we like to do, is it? We like to say, well, they, their problem, their sin is a real problem. Mine's not so bad, right? No, no, no. Your sin hinders you from running the race that God has called you to. Take it seriously. Bring it to him. Confess it. Repent of it and ask the Lord to help to leave it behind. Amen? Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. All right, verse 2. And what else we're supposed to do as we run this race? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As you and I are struggling in this race, as you and I are continuing in this race, he says here that we're supposed to set our eyes or fix our eyes. Earlier he would say that we're supposed to set our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. And how come? Because he is the author and perfect of our, of our faith. And in particular, he suffered and he persevered. So in all the great heroes of, the, of, the, of Hebrews chapter 11, and all of those great heroes, and honestly, between you and me, they weren't that great. They weren't, that, they weren't perfectly obedient, right? They struggled in obedience, and yet for a little bit of faith and a little bit of action that they took on faith, there was great blessing by God, which is incredible, and thankfully so, right? So I can look at them, and I can't, you know, I'm not all that intimidated, right? Abraham was told, you know, leave your, your father's house, uh, leave everything behind, and go to the promised land. What did he do? He took Lot with him, his nephew. What, is that what God said? No, but God, even for that little bit of obedience, there was a blessing for him. Anyway, okay, and on and on we could go, but not, not today. We don't have time. Okay, but uh, we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our, of our faith. It, the race begins with Jesus Christ, and it will end with Jesus Christ. He is in the middle of it. He's at the beginning. He's at the end, and it is only by his grace and his mercy and by his strength that we make it through this race. Amen? Amen. Okay, and then he is the real hero of all of the Scripture, Old and New Testament both. He is the one who suffered like no one else, who endured like no one else that we can fix our eyes on. And he is our example to look to and say, Lord Jesus, because you've made it, help me make it. Help me persevere. And let me tell you, here's the deal. When it comes to suffering, I'm not going to get very much read today, but that's okay. We've got a lot to talk about. When it comes to suffering, endurance is the goal and perseverance is the goal. And let me tell you what that's built of. It is built in this, is that it's the faith to be able to continue to say, I trust, Lord, in your goodness. I trust in your love for me. I trust in your mercy for me. And I tell you, God, help us to bring along brothers and sisters alongside us. And God, help us to have the kind of faith that says, despite my circumstances, no longer how it feels like I've been abandoned in this hardship and in this place, no matter how it feels like my prayers are bouncing back to me off the ceiling and I'm not getting through to God, I will not doubt his goodness and his mercy toward me. Amen? All right. Um, what should we do here? You know what? We've got we to gotta press on here. In, in verse 4. Verse 4, please, uh, Jason. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Someone else did. Do you know who it was? The Lord Jesus Christ, he struggled and shed blood, but you didn't. You haven't. You, so in other words, you've not struggled like he has, and you've not struggled to that extreme. And you have forgotten the words of encouragement that addresses you as sons. From Proverbs, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Now listen to what he says. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And verse 7, endure hardship as what? 
discipline. Here's the deal. In New Testament teaching, suffering is not just suffering. Suffering is not random. Suffering is not purposeless. Suffering is not, you know, why me? Well, you know, it's just chances. No. The New Testament teaching is that suffering is for a purpose. There is a reason behind it. And somehow, in all of God's sovereignty, he has a purpose for you in the midst of suffering. And not only his, and his purpose is probably not for your punishment, because we believe, right, the, Old, the, the New Testament teaching is, well, the punishment was all taken on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sin has consequences. It, it's true. Sin has consequences. But is the Lord punishing you? Probably not. But if you're suffering, that's a good thing to kind of get cleared up between you and God. You know what I'm saying? It's a good thing to get cleared up between you and God. Is this because I'm doing something that, I'm, that, I'm, that I've fallen into some sin that I've not, that I've not repented? Is this something because I, I need to, 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 to step out of and back into obedience? It, it may be. But more than likely, you're suffering because God has a plan for you. Because God has a plan for this in your life. And listen, I tell you what, I, we could preach on suffering and how the Bible talks about it for a whole year. We could. And, and here I'm just trying to do it here in about 20 or 30 minutes. But um, the Bible has a lot to say about it. But here's the deal. The, the, the New Testament has a different view of suffering than almost any other place. And that is, it can be for your good. It has a purpose in your life. You do not suffer uselessly. You do not suffer needlessly. It has an effect on your life. And it says that the Lord and of his, you ready for this, love allows you to suffer. And here in just a little bit, he'll make the case. He'll say, you had a father who disciplined you when, to teach you and to train you to do what was right. Okay. Somehow in our culture, you know what's happened, is that we've taken the link that has always been between love and discipline, and we've said, no, Love is without discipline. Oh, my goodness. Are you out of your minds? Yes, we are. Um, love and discipline for generations, for thousands of years, have been linked together. It, it, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the thought there that, that, that um, if I discipline my kids, they won't like me. There's something other, you know, if, if that's your viewpoint, let me talk to you. I'm sorry. This is a real quick chase. I promise it'll be quick. Uh, but, but here you go. If you love your children, you will discipline. If you are not disciplining your children, you don't love them. Your motivation is something else than love. You want them to like you. Is that love? No, that's all about you. If you love them, you will discipline them. It, 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 it's true. Love and discipline go together. You take a child who's not been disciplined their whole lives. Well, there are several of you who teach. What happens with those kids? Are they better off? Are they little, boy, are they just lovable, just little kids that everyone just loves to be around? They don't understand love. They can't comprehend it. Matter of fact, here's what you, that's right. And, and you know what I find is that, then the writer of Hebrews talks about this. Y'all read Hebrews 12 after we're done here. We're just not going to get it all today. But you know what you find is that people who grow up whose parents don't, don't discipline them, they, the, the children grow up hating them because they have no respect for them. I don't know why that works. I don't know why our human psyche is kind of built that way. But I, you've known people like that. I've known people like that. If you don't discipline your children, that what you get in the end is that you were so afraid to discipline them because you're afraid that they were going to hate you. In the end, they hate you because you didn't discipline them. Odd. I don't know why that's, our human psyche is like that, but that's the truth. Love and discipline go together. So the writer of Hebrews makes the case, because the Lord loves you, he is going to discipline you. It, it's going to happen. There's going to be discipline in your life. And he says this, Hardship, in verse 7, hardship is discipline. 
whenever you struggle, whenever you go through suffering, it is the Lord's discipline on you, teaching and training and purifying you. And if you would skip down with me in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can we all say amen? I, I felt this. This is true. I was suffering and I didn't like it one bit. True? It's not like we're masochists. It's not like we're supposed to say, yes, Lord, pour it down on me. You know, bring all the suffering. I love it. No. It doesn't seem pleasant at the time. They talk about understatement. It doesn't seem pleasant at the time. I love that. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Okay, anyway. Later on, however, it produces harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay. So here the, in the end is this, is that suffering has a purifying effect on God's people. Let me tell you, suffering doesn't have a purifying effect on those outside of God's love and mercy, right? It, it can't have. It may drive them to come to the point to, to search for and look for God and to come to him, but it's just as likely to push them away and for them to them become embittered and, 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 and fearful and afraid and, and, and angry and become that wretchedy old man or woman in their lives that's been so bitter because they didn't understand the Lord's goodness. But listen, you, as a believer, you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. You know his sacrifice on the cross, and you know that he suffered for you. You know that he took the crown of thorns, and you know he took the spear in the side, and you know he was beaten and mocked and humiliated, and you know it was for you because the writer of Hebrews says he did that so he could relate to you when you suffer. When you suffer abandonment, when you suffer you're being alone because your friends have abandoned you and no one's checking on you or calling on you in the midst of your suffering, Jesus can say to you, I know what that's like. Even though I am God, even though I am fully God and fully man, I am also fully man and I have tasted loneliness. When you're suffering physically, the Lord Jesus Christ would say, I know what it's like to suffer physically. I took it on myself and even though I was higher and greater than all of this, I lowered myself to the point that I could feel your suffering and he suffered for you, it says, so that he might offer help. And here we go. Let me end with this before we take the Lord's Supper. What kind of help is the Lord Jesus Christ? It says in the book of Hebrews that he lives with an indestructible life. That's a great phrase. I love that. He lives with an indestructible life, and he stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on our behalf. In the midst of your suffering, and you may not know and you may not feel it, but by faith you can believe he is interceding on your behalf before the Father, and he is at the same time administering mercy and grace to us. And so what are you supposed to do in the midst of suffering? Let me give you a couple things. One is ask for the Lord to continue to give you faith to believe in his goodness. This is so important. This will, this will quench the enemies of the arrow or the arrows of the enemy that would, that would put doubt in your mind about the goodness of the Lord. And it is so important for you. You have to be mindful that, wait, I don't want to doubt the Lord's goodness so that I might say in the midst of trouble, bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, despite my circumstances, because I've seen what he's done for me. I've seen that he sent his son and he suffered and died on my behalf. So why would I doubt his goodness? Amen? The other thing is this, is that just to, to be praying this, is that, Lord, you have to help me endure. You have to give me strength. I need a new measure of your grace. I need your mercy. I need you to come and strengthen me. And, Lord, through all of this trial and all this struggle, I need that from you. It will drive you to deeper dependence on God, which is actually doesn't sound good to us in this culture, but it is a beautiful, wonderful place to be. Amen? Amen. All right.
let's pray together, and then we're going to take the Lord's table together. Those of you who are going to play and you guys who are going to help out, would you come forward? We're going to pray that the Lord would uh, be amongst us here today. Um, there's some instruction in uh, 1 Corinthians that we are not supposed to drink or take the Lord's table without first examining ourselves. I'm going to read that to you. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without um, recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So I wanna, let's take just a moment and pray and uh, just ask the Lord to find anything that's offensive in us and to make it known to us so that we may confess, so that we may take the table in, uh, in, in, in a right manner. The Lord Jesus Christ has sacrificed his body and his blood for you, that, he, that, that you might be cleansed of your sin, that he might wipe it away from you, that he might remove it from you. And so this morning, Lord God, we pray, take away our sin. Lord, we walk and, and, and we walk in, in, uh, in this world and, and we walk still in our own sin. We still struggle with that, Lord God. So Lord, we pray, would you bring about cleansing of us again this morning? Not that you haven't already done that work, but Lord, we need our consciences cleansing, cleansed. We, we, we need our minds cleansed. We need our mouths cleansed, our hands, Lord God, because we continue to struggle with, with sin. But Father, we know and we believe in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews said this over and over again. He made one sacrifice for all people for all time. And there is no longer now any more need for sacrifice. He offered, by offering his body, the Lord Jesus Christ, his broken body and his spilt blood, he offered the complete and ultimate and final sacrifice for sins. So, Father, we recognize the blood and the body of the, of the, the broken Lord Jesus this morning and all that he's done, that, that he's taken our sin far away from us. He's removed it from us. And so, Father, we're so grateful for that this morning. So, Lord, be with us now as we take this, the Lord's Supper. Uh, as we drink the, the, the blood, as we eat the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we remember his suffering on our behalf. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's see. Um, I, a couple things. Uh, Brendan, would you mind going to get Brenda and the kiddos to come back for the Lord's table, please? Thank you. And then um, I, I want to tell you, we've got several visitors with us. We practice an open table, which what that means is if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to, um, to take the Lord's table with us today, whether or not you're a member here. Um, but uh, only if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, only if you've come to the point of, of salvation, or you come to the point to, to uh, surrender your life to him. If, you're, if you've done that, you are welcome to celebrate with us the Lord's table. Um, anyway, as we do that, um, yeah, did you guys read? Thank you. All right. We know that the, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was broken for us when he offered himself up on the cross. And so we'll remember the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as we, uh, as we celebrate his table.
the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, as we remember your sacrifice, as we remember the incredible suffering that we went through, that you went through, we remember, Lord, that you did it on our behalf. One, that we might have, that you might be punished so that you could be our substitute and that there wouldn't be any punishment left for us except that what you took on. So, Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ took on our punishment at the cross. And anyone who follows him, anyone who believes in him, they, there will be no punishment left for them, but only grace and mercy. But, Father, we remember not only that, that you took on our punishment, but, Father, by taking on our punishment, you felt fully what it is to be human. You felt fully what it is to have the weakness of this flesh uh, and to suffer temptation, uh, to suffer in trials and hardships, to know what it is to, to, to be in lack, to know what it is not to have a home, to know what it is to, to suffer abandonment. Lord Jesus Christ knows all of those things. And so now we have a high priest uh, who intercedes on our behalf, knows our frailty and knows our weakness. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you this morning for your willingness to suffer on our behalf. In Jesus' great name we pray.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he said, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. We remember this morning that he died for us, not only that he might take on all of our sin, not only that he might pay the penalty for our sin, but also that he might be of help to us, Lord, when we suffer. So, Father, we thank you for our great salvation and, Lord, this great uh, high priest, this great mediator that you've made that we might have um, uh, between, with, between us and you, Lord God that he mediates on our, on our behalf, and he is there to help us, Father, when we suffer. So, Lord, we thank you for this great sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for such a great salvation that you've brought and you've made known to us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for showing us um, your care and your mercy and your grace for us, uh, even when we suffer. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray.